Father in heaven, what a thrill, what a joy it is to be here with these young people. And Father, I want to thank you for the testimony tonight and the work and the ministry of Jessica Frame. Father, I want to thank you for the way that this has ministered to my soul and it has inspired me and the way that she is ministering to those young people. Father, even now, wherever they are, whatever those young people are doing, fill them with your spirit. Father, may they have the experience of coming to know God through the kindness and the munificence and the magnanimity of Jessica. Father, may they not see her, but may they see Christ in her. Prosper this work. Bless them financially, Father. And may this work broaden. May her tribe increase. And may this uh, be exactly the work that all of us are involved in. Uh, in some capacity, uh, whether great or small, may we, every one of us, be taking seriously the clothing, the feeding, the visiting, the teaching that we have heard here in Matthew 25. Help us, Father, tonight as we open your word. We pray that you would open us. We're looking forward to a great presentation tonight, not because of a great presenter, uh, but because of a great message. Uh, and that is the gospel message, the message of Christ, the message of your own character. So please bless us now as we come into your presence. May we have a rich experience and may we learn to do good by following him who alone is good. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to begin by playing a little word association game. I'm going to say a word, and you're going to tell me a word that comes to your mind. Now, if we all shout it out at once, it's not going to uh, be very discernible. I'm not going to be able to understand what you're saying. So just raise your hand. And the word is Afghanistan. The word is Afghanistan. Young lady. War. War. God's people. Obama. Obama. Do you mean Osama? Yeah, probably Osama. <laughs> Anybody else? They did it in the early teens as well. Anybody else? Afghanistan. Hands up, hands up. Go ahead. Soldiers. Soldiers. Taliban. Taliban. Opium. Okay. Oil. Oil? Yeah, they said that over there. I don't think there's a lot of oil there, though. Uh, someone else. Afghanistan. No one from this side has said anything yet. 9-11. Hot. Hostility. Desert. Culture lost in war. Culture lost in war. Okay. Missionaries. Rocky. Okay. Not Balboa, just rocks. Islam. Okay, very good. Uh, second question now. Um, who here has been to Afghanistan? Just raise your hands. You've been there? Great. Who else? I'm sure there's many of us here. Okay, what's your name, young lady? Okay, Emily Smith. And how long were you there? Okay, so I just met your brother Matthew over there, didn't I? Michael. I just met him. Is that right? He's your younger brother? Okay, great. I asked him the same question since he was the only one over there that had actually been there. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, Emily. Um... Afghanistan. So just tell us about it. A couple words, few words, five or six words. It's the poorest country I've ever been to. Poor, okay. And it's very um, oppressive toward women. Okay, oppressive toward women. And it's very hot and dry and it looks a lot like Arizona. Hot, dry, looks a lot like Arizona. <laughs> so, so does it look, is it beautiful or it's not beautiful? In my opinion, it's very ugly. Okay. <laughs> Okay. But people are very needy and they need 
Okay, so you've actually been there. Good experience, apparently. It was positive or not really? Okay, great. Um, you can have this conversation with your brother later, but he said it was beautiful. Yeah, he did. His exact words were, um, lots of pretty places. So, you can go sort that out with him. Um, now, our thesis tonight is that God can be more than proved. He can be experienced. And um, it doesn't work if you've already heard this presentation, but I'd be very curious if anyone who has not heard this presentation uh, or heard me talk about this before can tell me who this man is. Just anyone? I'll buy you dinner. I'm not kidding. Okay, Violetta, I'll buy you dinner anyway. That's my wife. Okay, looks like who? Looks like Mick Jagger. Yeah, he does look a little like Mick Jagger. I think it's the lips. His name, is, his name is Rory Stewart. Rory Stewart. He's an Englishman. Uh, he's a Brit. He was uh, sort of born and bred uh, as the son, I believe, of a diplomat in Malaysia. And uh, very familiar with Islamic culture. Fluent in, I think, five or six languages. And he got this harebrained idea at the age of 25 years old to walk across Asia. To walk across Asia. 6,125 miles. Just over 6,000 miles. How long do you think that took him? Yeah, that, that's about exactly right. It took him 21 months. He walked across the better part of Asia, but there was something taking place. This was in 2002 in Afghanistan. What was happening in Afghanistan in 2002? Yeah, this thing called a war, right? And so what happens is, is that he walks the first part of his journey. He gets to the border of Afghanistan, but there's no way he can get into this country. He's just a lone traveler. And so what he does is he, he catches an airplane and he flies over to whatever the, the rendezvous point was going to be after he came out of Afghanistan, and he walks the remainder of his journey. So sort of, you know, kind of 3,000 miles here, 3,000 miles here. But then just as he was finishing, completing his journey, Afghanistan uh, went into, uh, the Taliban fell. The Taliban fell, and one month after the fall of the Taliban, after the U.S. Uh, uh, invasion, uh, Rory Stewart went in February, in February of 2002, I believe, and he walked across Afghanistan. One month after the fall of the Taliban in the middle of winter. He was 26 years old. He wrote a book about it. The book is called The Places in Between. And he called it that because this was the place in between that he couldn't walk through because of the Taliban. And so he went back and he tells this story. He tells the story of his walk not just across Asia, but primarily in this book, the story of his walk across Afghanistan. And the interesting thing about it is this. If you had asked me, David, uh, do you want to go to Afghanistan? Or perhaps if you had even said word association Afghanistan, I would have said some of the same kinds of things that you have. Opium, war terrorists, uh, Osama, oppression, hostility. Uh, I would have said the very same kinds of things. But the, the fascinating thing that took place is the book is an absolute page turner. I recommend it, by the way, especially if you love reading travel or adventure literature. I just saw on a recent website it's rated like number seven, all-time travel adventure books. Fascinating book. I picked it up. I was actually in Mongolia, and I read it through, like literally... In a, in a day or two or three, I just picked it up, read it through. Couldn't put it down. Just an absolute page turner. And what do you think happened when I closed the book? What do you think my perspective was now on Afghanistan? Just take a guess. Hazard a guess. Yeah, I wanted to go. That's exactly right. I was like, man, this place sounds interesting. 
the smells that he described, the people that he described. Uh, what I'd been hearing from the media was the very same thing that you've been hearing. My word associations were identical. Opium, war, oppression, poverty, terrorists, Osama, uh, all of that. I would have said, no, 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 who wants to go there? And then I finished reading this book about a guy who just walked across the country in the middle of winter, and I'm thinking, man, I can't wait till things settle down a little bit so I can go there myself. Because the smell sounded so, or it's, he made it sound so wonderful and so hospitable and so, so, so different. In the foreword of his book, he says this. Uh, he dedicates the book to the people uh, that housed him. Uh, the foreword of the book says, This book is dedicated to the people of Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, and Nepal, who showed me the way, fed me, protected me, housed me, and made this walk possible. They were not all saints, though some of them were. A number were greedy, idle, stupid, hypocritical, insensitive, mendacious, ignorant, and cruel. Uh, some of them had robbed or killed others. Many of them threatened me and begged for me, but never in 21 months of travel did they attempt to kidnap or kill me. Now that's significant because you will remember with me, even to this day, uh, in some of these areas, Iran, uh, pardon me, Iraq and Afghanistan, civilians are occasionally kidnapped and it's really terrible. But he says, I walked for 21 months, much of that across Afghanistan in the middle of winter and no one tried to kidnap me or kill me. Uh, I was alone, he says, and a stranger walking in very remote areas. Now that would be a magnificent understatement. Am I right, Emily, to say that walking across Afghanistan in the middle of winter would be uh, putting you in very remote areas? That would be a magnificent understatement? Yeah, very remote. I mean, we don't even have, there's no context for us in the United States to even begin to appreciate how remote some of these areas were. We have the immigrant national wilderness and we have Yosemite National Park and you go there and like half of Japan is there, right? <laughs> uh, so our, uh, those of you who live in California have ever been to Yosemite know exactly what I'm talking about. Like we don't have wilderness with the possible exception of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Okay, so when he says I was alone and a stranger walking in very remote areas, I mean you have to understand if something goes south, if something goes wrong, you're done. You're not calling anybody. You are game over. Uh, I represented a culture, the English culture, Western culture, white culture, uh, that many of them hated. And I was carrying enough money to save or at least transform their lives. In more than 500 village houses, I was indulged, fed, nursed, and protected by people poorer, hungrier, sicker, and more vulnerable than me. Almost every group I met, Sunni Kurds, Shia Hazara, Punjabi Christians, Sikhs, the Brahmins of Kedarnath, Garwal Dalits, and Noari Buddhists gave me hospitality without any thought or reward. I owe this journey and my life to them. Now question, how many of you want to read the book now? Yeah, yeah, you're like on the edge of your seat. The guy is an amazingly capable writer. I mean, you pick the book up, you just literally can't put it down, especially if you're into travel journalism or travel literature or adventure literature. I mean, the book is amazing, absolutely amazing. He comes head to head with the Taliban over and over again. And just by his wits, just by his own cleverness and skill, he just outwits these guys. Absolutely fascinating. So the point is this. Before I'd ever read the book, if you'd ask me, Afghanistan, war, terrorists, opium, oppression, poverty. But now I want to go there. I find it fascinating. In fact, if you do a little bit of Google research on Rory Stewart, he, the man has dedicated his life to Afghanistan, not as a missionary, but to the preservation of the great natural history that is taking, has taken place and continues to take place there. It's amazing. The man is an absolutely amazing man, a, a genuine modern-day adventurer. And as I read his book, I was so... Uh, thrilled with, captured with uh, Afghanistan, I just thought, when can I go? 
When can I go? And then something dawned on me. Wait a minute. Maybe the way that I feel about a great many things that I don't have personal experience with are not right. Maybe the way I feel about a great many things, maybe I am not thinking my own thoughts often, but I am merely a reflector of other man's opinions. Is it possible that we could do this very same thing with God? Is it possible that for many of us, God could be like Afghanistan, a dry, dusty, dangerous place? A place that we only know about because others who have gone there have told us? Or perhaps a place that we only know about because of the media? Perhaps your view of God is so colored by what others have said to you that you don't have your own personal experience with who God is and what He's about. I want to tell you the story tonight about a church in Ephesus. And it was a church that was pastored by a man named John. What was his name, everyone? John. John. And this was the last living apostle. And uh, prior to his exile to the island of Patmos, where he received the vision of the Revelation, he pastored uh, the churches in and around Ephesus. And uh, most scholars believe that uh, he was writing the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John to uh, protect, to warn his churches about a coming danger. And I want to talk to you tonight about what that danger was and is, and I want to talk to you about how this can radically impact your own experience. And uh, let's start by just noting this. In the Bible, Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, uh, the psalmist says something fascinating. He says, O taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Taste and see. What is taste? Fundamentally, what is taste? Oh, that's exactly right. That's it. What's your name? Janine. Janine. It's an experience. Now, I want you to listen to this. Oh, experience and see that the Lord is good. Every one of us has had the experience of going to a restaurant and ordering some meal that was just awesome, some dessert that was booming, some curry that was off the hook, something that was just good. And when you taste it, you're like, man, this strawberry cheesecake is the bomb. You've got to try it. Right? We do that to our friends and be like, oh, you've got to taste this. I mean, this is just off the hook. So I'm going to give you some of my strawberry cheesecake. I'm asking you to do what? What am I asking you to do? taste it because I believe that the experience that I've had will be very similar to the experience that you're about ready to have, right? And then if you taste it, you're like, wow, that's good. That's the best strawberry cheesecake I've ever had. Before you know it, everybody at the table wants a what? They want a bite. When the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good, what he's saying is, experience God. Know God. We do that. When we read a great book, we say, man, I just read this great book. You should read it. The thing that always sort of puzzles me is that we do the same thing when something tastes or smells really bad. <laughs> Isn't that true? We'll be like, oh, that's nasty. Taste this. <laughs> no, I'm good. No, I, I, I believe. My son, I have two boys, uh, eight and six, and my youngest boy, Jabel, he broke his arm very badly about seven weeks ago. Fell down, broke his arm. It was shaped like that, an L kind of. And uh, so we had a cast on. He just got his cast off two days ago. So we were in the doctor's office, you know, and they're cutting the cast off. And I'm telling him, don't move. Don't move or your arms. She'll cut your arm right off. So don't move. <laughs> so anyway, we get the cast off and his arm is just, it looks leprous and it looks terrible. And it just, when, when she sort of breaks the cast open, there's like this aroma that like kind of starts to waft in, in the room. And I'm like, Jay, will smell your arm. And he's like, He's like, oh, Papa, it totally stinks. He's like, smell it. 
like, no, man, I'm good. I'm good. He's like, Mom, smell this. She's like, no, no, no. Landon, smell this. And of course, he's eight, so he's like, oh, that does stink. Papa, smell it. And so, like, so I have this whole thing. Hey, smell my arm. It's really gross. Okay, I, I don't know why we do it with the bad things, but with the good things, I understand. Oh, you've got to taste this raspberry cheesecake. It's so good. The psalmist is saying, I've had an experience. I've had an experience. And I want you to have that same experience. Now, how many of us here today are conspiracy theorists? Do we have any conspiracy theorists in our midst? I mean, come on. You can be proud. Be proud of your conspiracy. I, I know you're one, Chad. I was hoping you'd raise your hand. Okay, there we go. Conspiracy theorists, okay, who really killed JFK? What really happened on 9-11? Okay. Okay. The moon, yeah. Did we really go to the moon? You know, the Mythbusters and all that? Um, yeah, I'm not really a conspiracy theorist, but I do believe there's a great big conspiracy, but that's not really the subject of this sermon. But uh, here's the thing with conspiracy theorists. Now, I know, well, at least I know Chad, so I can vouch for his sanity. I don't know about the rest of you. Um, but you meet people occasionally. They're so consumed with conspiracy theories that they, like, can't view the world in a normal way. Have you met these people? I mean, everything is Illuminati. Everything is Masons. Everything is Jesuits. It's like, you know... Like when I meet these people, I just like want to throw them like some secret handshake. So they're like, whoa! You know? <laughs> Pastor Asherick is in on it too, you know. I just want to freak him out. <laughs> so here's the thing. I'm not down on the conspiracy theorists. I think that there's probably a little bit of truth to many of these theories. The reality is, is that we live in an evil world and there are evil men who are craving power and craving money and craving uh, influence. And so there's very good reason to believe that much of what the media is telling us is not true. I believe that. <laughs> But the point is this, when you meet some of these conspiracy theorists, they almost have a condescending way about them. And it kind of goes something like this, well, you know, that's what the sheeple believe. That's what they call people who don't know. They're called sheeple. That's what the sheeple believe. You know, they think that 19 terrorists flew these planes into the Trade Center. Oh, yeah, watch this DVD. <laughs> And there's always kind of like a doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, and you like put it in, and it's kind of like the fact that it's not well done, and it's kind of scratchy audio, you know, what really happened on You know, it's, it's kind of like it adds to the whole thing, you know, are you with me? And so now, now these people are in the know, and, and they're going to bring you up to speed, like, you know, sure, you believe what the uh, commission said, and sure, let, but let us tell you, we know who did it. We know what's going on. The idea is, is that the rest of the people don't really know what's going on, but we know because we have inside information. We have what, everyone? Inside. And if you knew, if you knew what I know, you would see the world like I see it. Watch this DVD. Right? Are you with me? So in the days of the church, the early church... The gospel was going out, right? The gospel was going out, and Peter and James and John and the apostles, they're preaching, and you know the story, right? They're preaching, and people are coming. Let me ask you a question. As you read the book of Acts, as you read the New Testament, the, the promulgation of the gospel, the, the furtherance of the kingdom of God, was that easy work or hard work? First century. Hard work. I agree. I, I, I see that. I, I picked that up in Acts, and it wasn't always easy. Um, what were some of the things that made it hard? Okay, who said that? Persecution? Who is that? Who is that? Who is that? Okay, very good. Anybody else? Paganism. What made it hard? Paganism. Okay, paganism. Good. Made it hard. Other things made it hard. Go ahead, Robert. Traveling. Hey, traveling. Yeah, you nailed it. Like you didn't hop in your Subaru Outback. I mean, you were, you were walking. Yeah, go ahead. 
Okay, the resistance of the Jews and the resistance of the pagans. Okay, so it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. So here we are. We're the church and we're going out. We're, we're the disciples. We're the followers of the disciples and we're going out to preach the gospel. And they would go to towns and they would start to raise up groups of believers. Now, I need an evangelist too, preferably. Just very quickly, I just need to use you as an illustration. You're just going to come up here. Okay, great. Thank you for volunteering. Oh, you can, that'd be great. And Jessica, you're already an evangelist, so if I could borrow you too. Uh, what's your name? Alex. Alex. Nice and Jessica. Okay, and you are all... Are you going to stay for the whole sermon? Uh, yes. Okay, because I need you the whole t sermon. Um, so, it's going to be about two hours. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> So, so this is your church, okay? You've come to this as the city of Ephesus, okay? Ooh. And you're preaching in Ephesus. Ephesus was a pagan city. We could go into that. But you've come to this town, and you've begun to preach, and you've been laboring here for a few years. And you're both disciples of John. Mm. You're disciples of John, John the Apostle. And uh, he taught you, and now you've gone out. John's becoming an old man now. We're sort of um, maybe 90 A.D., 91 A.D., somewhere in there. And they've come here, and there's already a burgeoning group, and they're strengthening the group, right? And what, what city are we in, everyone? Ephesus. We're in Ephesus. Okay. And so, one more time. Ephesus. No, no. Your, your name? Alex. Alex. Okay. So Ephesus has come to Alex. Just kidding. Alex has come to Ephesus mm -hmm. and Jessica, and they're preaching the gospel. They're preaching the gospel. Okay? And they've raised up a church, and you guys are the church at Ephesus. Okay? So far, so good. Okay, but you have to leave to go to another place. Okay? So, so you leave. Back to your chairs. Now. Now you too. Oh, me too. Yeah. So, one of the major heresies... One of the major difficulties that the early church faced was resistance from people who seemed to embrace what people like Jessica and Alex were teaching. And these people were called Gnostics. They were called Gnostics. Now, how many of us here have ever heard of an agnostic? Right? Somebody want to tell me what an agnostic is? Oh, no, good guess. They don't believe in God. Try again. Agnostic. They don't know if they believe in God. Okay, I want you to take a look at this shape, this napkin right here. Does everyone see this? Okay, uh, true or false, this napkin shape is asymmetrical. False. True or false, this napkin shape is symmetrical. True, right. What does symmetrical mean? It means when I take this napkin and I fold it like that, what, is it, what does it tell me about the two sides? They're identical. Okay, so symmetrical is when they're identical. Guess what asymmetrical is? When they're not identical. Okay. An agnostic claims not to know. An agnostic. Okay. Guess what a Gnostic claims to believe? They know. That's what their name means. They're the Gnostics. They know what's really going on. Like, somewhat like our modern day conspiracy theorists. Watch the DVD. Right? The Gnostics embraced, uh, at some level, um, the Christian faith. At some level, they sort of embraced the Christian faith. They said, yeah, Jesus came, and that was cool. And, but, but they began to undermine in the early church some of the teachings, the fundamental teachings of the church. Now, Gnosticism was something that was really difficult for the church in the first, second, and third centuries. Now, um, quick question. Who here has heard the term orthodoxy? Orthodox. Who knows what it means? Go ahead. I'm talking to you. Okay. okay so, so what is orthodox? What does the word mean? Um, 
Faithful to the true religion. Okay, good, very good. Faithful to the true religion. That's exactly right. Do you know what the word orthodox comes from? Anybody? Orthodox. Oh, oh, what, what, what? what? How about the ortho part? I gave it away there, didn't I? Uh, do any of you put things in your shoes? Yes. Well, you put something in your shoes to help you what? To help you, what, what do they help you do? Walk straight and keep your posture up. What do you call those things you put in your shoes? Orthotics. They help you to walk straight. Are you with me? Your dad is an orthopedic surgeon, am I right? Okay, his job, among other things, is to help you to walk straight. Orthodoxy means you're walking straight. You're walking the right path, okay? How many of us in this room have ever heard of heresy before? Heresy. Okay, what's heresy? To walk Believing different than what? Yeah, and you know what's fascinating? Do you know what the word heresy, do you know where it comes from? What the actual root word of heresy is? The etymology of it? All it means is choice. That's it. It just means choice. So you had orthodox, which this is the true religion. This is what's true. And then you had the heresies that offered what? What did the heresies offer? Choices. And the Orthodox Church was saying, we don't want choices. We want to walk straight. We want orthodoxy. And one of the great heresies that was faced by the church in the first, second, and third centuries was this heresy called Gnosticism. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. We know what's really going on. And what would happen is, when people like Alex and Jessica would come and raise up churches, Gnostics would come and they would start to infiltrate those churches and they would say things like this. What these guys are teaching you is great. And they wouldn't do it usually on a public scale, often on a private scale. Hey, what these guys are teaching you is great. You know, I love Alex and Jessica. They're good people. Good people. But I tell you, they don't know everything. Can I have the DVD? I'm going to give you the DVD in just a minute. <laughs> First, I have to give you the handshake. And then I have to give you the brochure. They would start to infiltrate the churches and basically undermine the teachings of the Orthodox Christians, the Christians that were going out. And they taught a great many things. In fact, many scholars today believe that there really was no such thing as a, as a homogenous Gnosticism, that they taught many different kinds of things. But one of the things, one of the most fundamental things that Gnostics taught was that there was this tremendous demarcation between the spirit and the flesh, right? Things that are made of matter, this and this and this, and things that were spirit. And they taught that Jesus, because he was a spirit, didn't really come in the guess what? Flesh. And so they taught Jesus was something like this light right here. He was like a projection, he wasn't a real man. He was like a projection. And, you know, we know. We, listen, Alex and Jessica, they're doing the best they can. And they've come and, you know, but let me tell you about, let me tell you what's really going on. The Gnostics were the conspiracy theorists of their day. And they would start to come into churches and start to undermine the teaching that the gospel uh, 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 preachers and evangelists and disciples and their uh, others were bringing. And so you had this conflict that was developing in the early church. Okay? Are you with me? Yes or no? Yes. So one of the churches where this Gnosticism began to spring up was, guess what church? Ephesus. Ephesus. And so John writes a letter. He was probably too old to travel there. So he writes a letter and it's called 1 John. And in 1 John, we notice something that comes up over and over and over and over again. You can feel the heart of John. 
as you read the, the epistle, you can literally feel the heart of John leaping through the pages. He is so concerned. L- listen, listen to this language. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Now listen to this language. If anyone comes to you, he's writing to his church. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, this doctrine, do not receive him into your house. Don't even greet him. He who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Is John concerned? Yes or no? Yeah. He says, hey, listen, if one of these guys comes to your place, don't let him in your house. Do not let them in your house. In fact, if you see them in the marketplace, if you see them in the street, don't even greet them. Is John concerned? He's very concerned. In fact, what was happening was is that some of these Gnostics had actually come from the church itself. Some of these Gnostics had actually left the church, had gone out. Now they were in the know, and they were coming back apparently to start evangelizing the church. And so Alex is our evangelist, Jessica is our evangelist, and I'm the Gnostic. And I would come in and I would say, you know, what they tell us is... It's okay, but let me tell you what's really going on. Now, you think, what does this have to do with Afghanistan? Well, you hang in there. This is absolutely amazing. I want you to listen to what John says as he writes to the church. The concern of John. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you what? You what? You what? You what? I want you to listen to that language. See, for some of you, you're already getting it. And others, just as the sermon goes, you're going to start getting it. But listen to what he says. You know all things. John is writing to us today in a very real sense. And he says, you have received an anointing by the Holy One, and you know. How much do you know? You know all things. Notice this one. Same chapter, verse 27. But the anointing that you have received from Him, Him being the Holy One, the Spirit, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. You don't need a teacher. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is not a lie, just as, just as, as it has taught you, abide in Him. Listen to what He's saying. You don't need anyone to teach you. In fact, when you read 1 John, you come to chapter 2, He says something fascinating. He says, I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you because you do know the truth and that no lie is of the truth. Now watch how brilliant John's posture is here. Okay, so Alex, come back up, and Jessica. So they return back, and now they see that there is some Gnosticism beginning to break out, that there's division, there's conflict, there's hostility in your church, and there's arguments taking... Your churches aren't like this. There's never any division. There's never any hostility. There's never any disagreements in your churches, right? Okay, watch how brilliant John is here. So these people are coming back, and they're seeing this, right? They're concerned, and they report it back to John, because likely John was too old to travel himself. And so watch what John does. John writes a letter to them, and he says, You already know all things, because you've been anointed. You don't need a human teacher. You already know. In fact, I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you because you do. What is John trying to avoid? Simple. An argument. A yelling match that would go something like this. These guys are saying, Jesus really was a man. He really did come in the flesh. And I'm over here saying, no, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. They're wrong. They're washed up. No, he's washed up. No, they're washed up. No, he's washed up. No, they're washed up. What's this going to do to the congregation? What's this going to do? It's going to begin to split it. Is it going to increase or decrease hostility? 
increase hostility because now we're down to basically what they say versus what I say. They say that Jesus came in the flesh, among other things. I say, no, he didn't. He was a spirit, and spirit is good, and spirit can't come in flesh. He was an illusion. It was illusory. And so, yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. John didn't do that. John wrote, and he said, uh, you don't need another teacher. You don't need a man to teach you because you've been anointed. God himself, by his spirit, has already taught you, check this out, all things. You know everything you need to know about salvation. Okay, sit back down for just a bit. Now watch this. Chapter 3, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Question, according to that verse, how do I know, and how do the believers in Ephesus know, that they abided in God, or to put it in more modern terms, that they were in a relationship with God. Uh, 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 good guess. Very good guess. Great Seventh-day Adventist guess. Look at the text. By His Spirit. Look at what He says. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. That's true. That is true. But look at what He says. And by this we know that He abides in us. By His Spirit whom He has given us. Look at this one. Chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His what? Spirit. Spirit. So according to John, you don't need another human teacher, because you already know all things. And according to John, how do you know all things? By His Spirit. By His Spirit. By His Spirit. See if you can complete this passage for me here. Jesus is speaking to His disciples. And He says to His disciples, Hey, guys, um, who do people think I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Good. Who do you think I am? You are the Christ. Do you know the rest of it? The Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, listen, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, no man taught you that. A man didn't teach you that. God taught you that. Are you with me, yes or no? See what John's doing? He's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant under the power of the Spirit. Rather than getting into an argument, yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. John says, hey, you don't, you don't need a human teacher. You already know. You already, what's the word? Look at this word keeps coming up. By this we know. 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 You know what's fascinating? When you go read 1 John, John uses the word know more than any other book in the entire New Testament. Now, any Bible student want to tell me how many chapters there are in 1 John? Good guess. Five. How many chapters are in Matthew? 28. Mark? 16. Luke? 24. John? 21. Acts? 28. Beloved, I want you to think about that. 28, 24, 16, and here's 1 John 
And in five chapters, he uses this word, we know, we know, we know, we know. We know that Jesus is the Christ. We know that we have eternal life. We know that if we continue to believe that we will receive uh, heaven. We know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. We know, 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 we know. You know, you know, you know, you know. Question, according to John, how does John know that they know? By his spirit. By his spirit. Now, I want to introduce to you what I call the Taco Bell test. <laughs> Does anyone here want to admit that they actually eat at Taco Bell? I'm sorry about that. Um, we can still be friends. Like, it's okay. You know, your judgment is whatever. I mean, good for you. But I don't eat at Taco Bell because I'm totally, completely grossed out by it. But occasionally when you're in a pickle... You know, it's like McDonald's or Taco Bell, and you know that's not a tough one. <laughs> now, now, I'm a vegetarian, vegetarian. I went to Norway once, and this woman kept asking me, people kept asking me if I was a vegan. <laughs> I was like, they're like, are, are you a vegan? And I thought that was like another way of saying Norwegian. <laughs> so I was like, no, no, I'm from the States. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And uh, on one occasion, this lady came up to me, and I remember it very clearly. I know exactly where I was standing. I know exactly what I was. I, was, I had just gotten some food, and I, I think I had like some cheese on my plate, you know, heaven forbid. And, and she, she looked at me, and she said, are, are you a vegetarian <laughs> or a vegan? Because I am the only vegan in my village. And I was like, oh, a vegan is a vegan. I was like, oh, no, I'm a vegan. I mean, not all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm a veganish, you know, like mostly vegan. So, so that's why I don't eat at Taco Bell because they keep all that stuff so close together. You know, like the meat is right there, and they pick their nose and. <laughs> just yucky. But occasionally you got to do it. I mean, just occasionally you got to make a run for the border. Only in a case of absolute necessity. Now, here's the thing. I don't like to go into those places because I look back, like I look back at the line and I just like, get, I'm just like grossed out. I can't, I can't handle it. So I have to go through the drive-thru if I'm going to eat there. So when I go through, I'm, I order the Crunchwrap Supreme because it kind of hides everything. <laughs> I'm serious. You think I'm kidding. So I'm like, yeah, I'll take the Crunchwrap Supreme. No meat. And you know, the sound systems are terrible on these things. So they're like, you want the Crunchwrap Supreme, that's extra meat? I'm like, no, no meat. I'm a vegetarian, no meat. They're like, you want no onions? No, no meat. You know, so I'm nervous, you know, and finally they get it and your order is so weird compared to every other order they get, you know. So then I get up there and they hand me this bag, you know, and like, it's hard for me because every ounce of my being wants to check. Are you with me? Like, open it up, like, unwrap the crunch wrap, like, look to see if there's a bunch of beef in there, right? But I don't. I don't do that. I just say, hey, thanks, man. No meat, right? Right? Yeah, 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 no meat. Good. Okay, thanks. And I put the bag in my car, and I drive off. Are you with me? I drive off. I don't check because I trust this guy. I have accepted his testimony. Are you with me? Yes or no? Yes. I've accepted. We do this all the time. We always are accepting what other people tell us. We accept the testimony of men. For example, how many of you tonight think that that book that I told you about, The Places in Between, might be a cool book to read? Yeah. But how come you, you didn't know anything about that book before I came in? So why do you think it's a cool book to read? Because I said so. 
Mark Twain one time said that 99% of what men believe they accept on the authority of another person. Okay? So we accept the testimony of men. We do this all the time. You know, the ladies will say, like, what do you think of this? Do you think, does this work? And, and if your girlfriends are like, mm, you look kind of fat in that. You'd be like, oh, really? So you, you won't wear it because you believe them. Right? You believe them. You say, oh, okay, well, I'll go change then. Or, you know, the guys will be like, hey, what do you think? You know, like, does that work? You know, like, I sort of... Does it look like I don't care? Like, yeah, it looks like you don't care. Okay, cool. No, 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 it fully looks like you care. Oh, man, uh, you know, you got to redo it or whatever. So, so we're, we're constantly gauging where we're at because of other people. Hey, what do you think? What do you think? So look at what John says here. He's closing his epistle. He says, this is he who came by water and blood. That's a reference to the bloody... He talked about a pregnancy and a birth. I mean, it's, it's not pretty. I've been there, seen it. And uh, it's, it's messy. And so he's saying, hey, this is he who came by water and blood. This guy was actually born. He wasn't a projection. He wasn't a projection. He was a real guy. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Who's testifying? Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, this is what I call the Taco Bell test. We do it all the time. We believe that people are telling us the truth all the time. Many of you, many of us, we, we bank our lives on the fact that people are telling us the truth because there's a car coming very quickly and it has its right turn signal on and we're getting ready to turn right on the same road and we see that turn signal and we turn out too. We assume that that guy's telling us the truth. He's going to take a right. We accept his testimony. But people die. People die. It happens. Where they go to take a right, they see this car coming in quickly, but they think, oh, his turn signal's on. He's going to slow down. They turn out. They don't realize that guy had no intentions of turning. He didn't even know that his turn signal was on. He smashes into you. You die. People accept the testimony of men all the time. John says if we receive the testimony of men, if we believe what men tell us, the testimony of God is even greater. For this is the testimony that God, of God, this is the testimony of God. It's not the testimony of David Ashrick. It's not the testimony of a preacher. This is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony where? In himself. Beloved, I tell you those words can change your life. Whoever believes the testimony of God, has, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has born concerning his son. Beloved, I want you to follow what John is saying. It is a stroke of absolute brilliance. He is saying, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, by his spirit, by his spirit. By... In fact, I'm not writing this to you because you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you because you already know the truth. And you don't need a man to come and teach you. In fact, you know all things. You don't need these people to come in on the sly, the Gnostics who are going to give new information, secret information about what's really going on behind the scenes. John says, don't believe it for a minute. And you don't need me to teach you this because God himself has taught you that you are his son, you are his daughter, and he is your dad. No, you don't believe me? Look at what Paul says about it. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Anyone in this room adopted? I'm adopted. I never met my dad. Never met my biological dad. He was young, 18. Probably some of you in this room are 18. He didn't want a baby. He just wanted my mom. And when a baby came, he was out of there. Never met him. I've never met him. But I have a dad. Wait a minute, how do I have a dad? I just told you I've never met my dad. I was adopted. 
I was adopted. In fact, I was adopted twice. That's another story. <laughs> you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Does anyone know what the word Abba here means? It's, it's like Daddy. My sons call me Papa. It's like Papa. It's, it's a term of endearment. It's colloquial. It's, it's beautiful. Look at this. The Spirit Himself bears witness. Hey, that sounds just like John. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Let me translate that for you. God sends forth His Spirit into your heart, and God's Spirit resonates with your spirit. And in that moment, in that supernatural moment, you don't need a human teacher. You don't need a Mark Finley. You don't need a David Ashrick. You don't need a Doug Batchelor. You don't need an anybody. You don't need an Immune. You know because God has told you, you are my son. You are my daughter. Now, do we need human teachers to come and help, help us to understand God and His Word better? No, no question. John wouldn't deny that. But when it comes to knowing God as your Father, John says, you don't need a man to teach you that. God has taught you that by His Spirit. And don't deny it, because the moment you deny that, you've made God a liar. You've accepted the testimony of men. Why not believe the testimony of God? John was writing to a church in Ephesus that was racked. Some people saying, we know what's really going on. Others saying, we know what's really going on. No, we know what's really going on. No, and John says, no, 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 no. You don't need a man. You don't need the arguments of men to persuade you one way or the other. Because God himself has already revealed himself to you by his spirit. And you know all things. You know all things. You know all things. I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth to try and persuade you of it. I'm writing to you because you know the truth. Beloved, I want you to take a look at this. There is an evidence that is open to everyone. There is an evidence that is open to all, the most highly educated and the most illiterate. In other words, everyone gets it. The great scholar and the academic institutions of the world, the grand academic institutions of the world, this is what speaks to them. And this is what speaks to the people that Jessica's ministering to. Everybody in between. The most highly educated and the most illiterate. It is the evidence of experience. The evidence of what? God invites us to prove for who? Beloved, listen to me very carefully. You cannot prove the existence of God to anyone else to their satisfaction if they don't want to believe. It is not possible. You can't prove to someone else to their satisfaction that there is a God. But you know what you can do? You can prove for yourself that there is a God. Because you know His Spirit has sent in, been sent into your life and His Spirit resonates with your spirit. You know. I know for a fact. You could no more convince me that there's not a God than you could convince me that there's not a me. I know there's a God. Now, if you say to me, Pers persuade me. I'll give you arguments. I'll give you evidence. I'll give you apologetic evidences to try and persuade you. But if at the end of the day you say, hey, I'm not persuaded by your argumentation, that's, that's just because I can't persuade you. I cannot prove to you, I cannot prove to your satisfaction that there's a God, but I can prove to my own satisfaction that there's a God, and I know there's a God, because I'm experiencing Him. I have a relationship with this God. So many amazing, serendipitous, awesome events have happened in my life. People here, I see people's heads going like this. You know, you have those God moments, those moments that I call when God winks, when God just lets you know I'm here. I got you. I'm with you. That's what John said. You don't need a man to teach you that. 
the evidence of experience, God invites us to prove for ourselves the reality of His Word, the truth of His promises. He bids us taste and see that the Lord is good. Instead of depending upon the Word of another, we are to taste for ourselves. And as we draw near Jesus and rejoice in the fullness of His love, our doubt and darkness will disappear in the light of His presence. And everyone who has passed from death unto life is able to set to His seal that God is true. In other words, everyone that has had a conversion experience can say, I know there's a God. <laughs> it's not possible for there to not be a God. What God has done in my life, He can testify, I needed help and I found it in Jesus. Can anyone here testify that you needed help and you found it in Jesus? Amen. Okay, I can testify. I can testify, I needed help and I found it in Jesus. Every want was supplied. The hunger of my soul was satisfied. And now the Bible is to me a revelation of Jesus Christ. I love Ellen White here. Brilliant here. She says, do you ask why I believe in Jesus? Look at her. She doesn't go into some long apologetic argument. She doesn't go into some great syllogistic evidence. She says, do you ask why I believe in Jesus? Because he is to me a divine savior. Do you ask why I believe the Bible? She doesn't go into the archaeological, genealogical, and scientific and historical evidence for the Bible. She says, because I have found it to be the voice of God to my soul. God is speaking to me in a very different place than my ears. God doesn't need my ears. He's got my heart. We may have the witness. Where can we have the witness, everyone? That sounds like what John says. That sounds like what Paul says. You have the witness in yourself. We may have the witness in ourselves that the Bible is true, that Christ is the Son of God. We know that we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We know that we have not followed children's bedtime stories. God is alive. God is real. God is just waiting to be experienced. Amen. Many of us. You're 16, 17, 18, 19, whatever in here. I want to tell you something. Our colleges and our universities are littered with young people who don't know the basics of what you have been taught tonight. They think that God is the conclusion of a bunch of doctrinal statements about him. They think that God is the sum total of the truths of the state of the dead, the sanctuary, the spirit of prophecy, the soon second coming, and the Sabbath. They think that God is an idea. They think that God is a concept. They think that God is, is some sort of philosophy. God is a person, beloved, Amen. waiting to be experienced. And our young people, beloved, they, they litter our universities and they litter our academies. Young people who the sum total of their information about God, the sum total of their knowledge, their data about God is what their parents told them, what their pastor told them, what David Asherick told them, what Doug Batchelor told them, what the Sabbath School Quarterly told them. And beloved, all of that is fine and good and it has its proper place. But the way that you know God for yourself is by His Spirit when He reveals Himself to you in an inimitable and wonderful and unmistakable way. Way. You are God's daughter and you know it. You are God's son and you know it. And so tonight I say to you what John said in Ephesus so many years ago. I'm not preaching to you tonight because you don't know the truth. I'm preaching to you tonight because you do know it. You know, you know, you know. For many of you, God is like Afghanistan. Dry and dusty and dangerous. You know why God is that way? Because you've never experienced him. If we could put you on a plane, if we could take a pool of money right now and put you on a plane and send you over to Afghanistan 
Sure, it'd be hard. I'm not saying there's not poverty there. But you would meet people, real people. And you would taste food, real food. And you would have a real experience. And we, we said, okay, come back and tell us what it was about. We said, Word Association Afghanistan. You wouldn't say war, heroin, opium, poverty, all that. You, you, those, some of those things might be there, but you'd say, let me tell you about the food. They eat the strangest thing. You're telling us about Afghanistan because you've been there. Beloved, God wants you to be in a relationship with Him so that you know Him. Not just about Him. Not just ideas. Not just doctrine. I'm talking about knowing God. Didn't Jesus say something like, and this is life eternal, that they might know Thee. That was the same John, by the way, that wrote what we've been studying tonight. That they might know Thee the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The skeptics will debate. The academicians will disagree. But fundamentally, you cannot take from a simple trusting saint the self-revelation of God by God to a person who is willing to experience God. Beloved, tonight I want to invite you to experience God. Not just to know Him as a concept or an idea or the sum total of a bunch of doctrines that you think you can recite and that makes you an Adventist. Beloved, to know God is to be in a relationship with a person Amen. who loves you, who made you. I want to share this final last radical thought with you. Don't think of your happiness and God's happiness as two separate things. God made you to be happy. God made you to experience pleasure. God made you to experience joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Stop thinking that God's plan for your life and your plan for your life are two different things. That one involves happiness and one involves drudgery. God's happiness and your happiness are synonymous. I want to make an appeal for those of you who want to know God. To begin to make that step of not just knowing where 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 is, of not just knowing what happens when you die, but to know your maker and to know your friend and to know your king. Is there someone here tonight that needs to make that decision? Make the decision to come and know him. Not just about him. If that's you, and you feel the Spirit of God speaking to you tonight, I want to invite you to come forward and pray with me. We're going to know God tonight. You come now. This would be the appropriate time. The Spirit of God has spoken to your heart. You want to make that very specific decision. Just come, come all the way to the front. I like to tell people, don't clog the aisles. Come right up to the front. And, and you want to make the decision to know God, to know Him, to know Him whom to know is life eternal. By the way, if you want to do good, which we'll talk about tomorrow, um, you first have to know Him who alone is good. 
how are we ever going to get our definition of good? Remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good master, and Jesus said, whoa, 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 slow down. There's only one that is good, and that is God. You want to do good? I want you to. God wants you to. I love Jessica's testimony tonight. It spoke to my heart. She's doing good. But she does good because she knows him who alone is good. Are you with me? Amen. Beloved, that's what God needs. God needs us to know him. Okay? He needs to know you. So put your arm around somebody there as a symbol that, that God's arms are around us. We're in this together. And tonight I want to just uh, pray, Father in heaven, tonight we, we feel like John. Uh, we feel like him who said, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Father, we're, we don't know what to say. We're just beholding it. You are God. You are good. You made us. You didn't have to. You were not under compulsion to make us. You made us because you love us. You want to know us. You want our life to be centered around you, Father. You want our happiness and your happiness to be the same thing. Yes. Father, tonight we've come forward. Some have. Because they want to know you. And this is a decision they're making tonight. It doesn't mean that those that haven't come forward aren't making this decision, but... Father, those of us that have come right now, we, we have felt the message tonight, the Spirit speak to us. And Father, we want to know you. We want to know who you are. We want to experience you. Father, the psalmist told us to taste and see. We want to do that. Teach us how to taste. Mm -hmm. Father, we want to ask your forgiveness where we have been satisfied with ideas and teachings and doctrines and words all of which are fine and good O oh Lord and you know they have their place Jesus was after all the written word the living word but Father those words all point to a person those teachings all point to a person they point to you and to your son and to your spirit and so Father tonight we come to know you we come to know him whom to know is life eternal. Father, please send forth your spirit as you have promised in Romans 8, 15 and 16. Send forth your spirit into our hearts that your spirit may bear witness with our spirit that every one of us here tonight may know in some intuitive, amazing, supernatural sense that we are the sons and daughters of God. And Father, may we take that knowledge and that experience and may we carry it with us wherever we go. And may others around us, hallelujah, begin to see that we have been with Jesus, yes. Yes. that we know him, that we love him, and that we're experiencing him. Father, we want to have good arguments. We want to have good evidence. But most of all, we want our life to be an argument, to be an evidence for you and for your goodness. Father, we live in a secular, degenerate, sensual, crazy world. Father, make us lights, not because we're light, but make us moons reflecting the light of Christ to a dark and dying world. Now, Father, I think of that song, Lord, I want to know you more. Deep within my heart, I want to know you. And Father, tonight, that's our desire. Please seal these decisions by your Spirit. In the mighty, powerful, saving name of Jesus, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. 
This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.